Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show and our latest edition of Take It or Leave It. It's simple. You, dear listener, send us in your hot takes and we decide whether we'll take them or we'll leave them. Today, we're turning up the take-based heat on making Black Friday a major soccer day. We're going spicy on the Mexican national team and we're steaming up the take windshield with Neymar's career. The take windshield. Wow. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, as always, my good friend, your good friend, our good friend, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, my friend. How are you? You are in the States, but even further south than normal. I am indeed. I am in uh, Will Smith's favorite town, Taylor. Can you guess which one that is? It's not the Wild Wild West. Wherever Chris Rock is not? Yeah, exactly. There it is. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes, I'm in Miami. I was here for a soccer conference called Soccer X Taylor, which, is, uh, which involved a lot of people in suits talking about soccer. That cool. sounds like my nightmare. Yeah, great. Yeah, you should come next year. Uh, joining us, someone who should also come next year to Soccer X, Joe Lowry. How are you on Mountain Time over there in Arizona, you crazy diamond? Mountain Standard Time, baby. Let's go. You love to see it. Um, Taylor, I'm just confused. People standing around talking about soccer is your nightmare? What is it that you think you do for a living? The suits, my friend. It's the suits <laughs> yes, part. The suits. I'm, wearing, I'm wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt right now. Uh, I have showered today, so that's progress. But yeah, the idea of having to put on a suit to do that sounds... Immediately exhausting. Although sometimes you do have to look the part, dress the part to look the part or whatever it is. Yeah. You really salvaged that Indochino sponsorship right at the end there, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) I've done that before, though, besides salvaging the Indochino sponsorship. There are times when I've put on like more formal attire when I feel like I need that sort of structure. If I feel like I'm slacking in the morning, then occasionally I will put on a a suit jacket to record. But those times are few and far between, as you all can attest. That's true, listen, right? We can all attest to that. Sometimes if Taylor uh, comes to the recording a, a couple of minutes late, he'll, he'll turn up with a top hat on, and we know, okay, he's had to lift himself up today. That's how we know. <laughs> today might be the case. opposite. I, like, I, shirt could come off at any point. Who knows how this recording session's going to go. All right. On that note, let's introduce <laughs> our final co-host, Graham Rutherford, who told us just before we started recording that he almost choked while brushing <laughs> his teeth. Now, Graham, you know this is something you've probably done twice a day for most of your life, right? What, what happened at this stage of your life? Well, actually, it was your fault, Ryan, because we're recording a little bit earlier today. And so normally I would have plenty of time to brush my teeth. But I was trying to rush, you know, to to, to meet our 9.30 uh, recording time. And yeah, I almost died brushing my teeth, which, to be fair, is the way that if you were going to choose how to go out, then maybe brush. No, it's a bad way to go out. I'm glad I didn't die. Yeah, I'm glad that you didn't die also, Graham. But also, it's your afternoon, by the way. It is, but this is not the first time I've brushed my teeth. This is the second time I've brushed my teeth. Do you only brush your teeth twice in a day, Ryan? Telling on yourself there. Yeah? To, do you do more than twice? says it's meant to be three. Well, my dentist does anyway. What? Is your dentist true? is lying to you. 
<laughs> you brush Why would he lie to me, Taylor? Why would he want me to brush my teeth more? Because he wants the business out of me. He's most dentists tell you not gum to brush recession, your teeth. Gum recession, man. Gum recession. Every time I go in, they're like, "You're brushing too hard. You're not flossing enough." <laughs> it's always one or the other. I never know which one it's going to be. <laughs> but there's no way to one. satisfy Graham, those people. It's impossible. No. You can't satisfy. <laughs> oh no, it's a trick for sure. It's a trap, Graham. You watch seemingly 16 games a day. You do spend time with your family. We know that. Mm. And you brush your teeth at least nine times. I don't understand when you sleep. Do you sleep? Are you a robot? What's happening? Uh, I dare tell you that I also have three showers a day, every single day. I don't know if I should divulge that information. Oh, my God. Is it wow. is it shower, brush teeth, brush teeth, shower? Which What's the order of operations? Do they always follow the uh, other? What, how does this work? Well, brush teeth after the, after the shower. Come on, I'm not okay. a madman, John. I definitely don't brush my teeth in the shower. I know there are some people who do that. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm not crazy. Yeah, that's you unacceptable. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a no. uh, shower nope. toothbrush combo guy. It's just a good combination of activities in the morning. That means you must be like spitting on your feet in the shower. I don't aim for my feet, Graham. <laughs> you wash your legs. That's that's the big one. Do you do you apply yes. soap to your legs, or does the water take? Ryan care of it? washes himself with with the spit from his mouth. Yeah. Oh, that's it's just, just, it's just leftover crest. Right. That's all okay. it is. Just okay. leftover okay. chewed okay. up crest. I regret this. All I regret right, every let's, direction uh, this let's, has gone. Let's get ourselves out of this little alleyway <laughs> that we've walked down. Uh, patreoncom slash show Listen, if you'd like to support <laughs> the show, you think you know somebody? Uh, wow, I know. I know. Wow, three showers as well. We've got to talk about that at some point not on the you. Patreon. Not yeah. Graham. <laughs> and just to be uh, clear, that's not the guy who lives in the 120 degree desert. That's the guy who lives in the, the cold, rainy environs and yet three showers a day. Understood, understood. Well, sometimes I need to, you know, like get heat in me. So w- wash the shame off of you. Yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah. Also that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Graham, you need to stop going to a dentist who is also a barber's and a bait tackle shop, basically, I think is what we've learned uh, from yeah. this uh, conversation so far. Uh, once again, patreon.com slash total soccer show for our bonus content including bonus episodes videos and access to the discord it's a cool private twitter for all of us folk come join us there if you'd like to support us now take it or leave it time let's get to our first hot take shall we it's from peter shark do 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 sorry peter can't resist that one peter submitted his uh, his take on discord and he says Black Friday should be a big soccer game day in America. The US versus England game in the World Cup last year was awesome. We should do that every year. I woke up every year, Joe. That's not what he's suggesting. Uh, the MLS Cup, uh, oh, US Open Cup final, even MLS Cup semis or earlier rounds should be on that day. Take your pick. I want to watch soccer on Black Friday. Let's make it happen. Joe, I come to you first with uh, one word. Take, 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 take all day long. What do we think about MLS Cup itself being on Black Friday? Tell me why it shouldn't be. I also have take written down in all caps five times, which is just how you led me in, Ryan. I counted on my fingers. I can count, guys. You led me in with, with five takes, um, and I am doing exactly that. I, I honestly am not totally sure about MLS Cup being on Black Friday because there's a decent chance that's going to be in the midst of an international break every single year. But if we could suspend all of that, I'm down. I like the idea of these games, of having big games in this downtime, right? This is a time when... Everybody, except for those of us that work in soccer, I suppose, around these games, will sort of be taking time off. And I enjoy casually turning on an NFL game on a, on Thanksgiving Day or having some downtime to, to do something with my free time on the Friday after Thanksgiving. And I, I think this would be a really fun thing that soccer fans could look forward to. I will say, I also am just speculating on all this stuff because I didn't feel the Black Friday bump last year. I don't imagine any of you guys did either. All together in Brooklyn, we were sort of just nose to the grindstone. Again, grain of salt. We talk about soccer for a living. It was it was fun. But we didn't really get to enjoy the regular cadence of 
whatever people do on Thanksgiving and whatever people do on Black Friday. But I think the NFL dominates those days in the United States. And as a soccer fan, I'm into adding a little bit more onto Black Friday specifically because, you know, Thanksgiving is kind of the NFL's. I don't think anybody's going to claim that at this point. Uh, Joe, the Black Friday bump. Can you uh, elaborate on that phrase, please? Well, I I think this idea that Peter's talking about is having games on days where people have a bunch of free time. And so if you have a game on Black Friday and you bill it appropriately, I think there's an idea that if you make this into something regular, it could do better than games that are scheduled just sort of on, you know, any other weekend or any other Friday. So I was going to ask about that, Joel, right? So I I think I'm taking this one, um, but I do need one piece of context. So obviously we have Black Friday in the UK, but Black Friday in the UK tends to be something a little bit different than in America. So in the UK, when I grew up, Black Friday was the day before Christmas, uh, the Friday before Christmas, when everyone would go out to the pubs and get hammered. Essentially, it was Black Friday. Hang, and... hang on, Greg. Stop here a second. Three, brushing your teeth three times a day, showering three times a day, and now you're making up that Black Friday existed when you were younger in the UK. I don't remember this UK. Well, I don't know if it was called Black Friday, but the Friday before Christmas was always a thing. Definitely. It certainly was when I worked in, um, like, as a barman. Black Friday was a thing. We'd when you were Black 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. That is true, Joe. <laughs> but um, anyway, Black Friday in like the modern sense, we do have Black Friday in the UK, um, similar sort of thing. There's deals in supermarkets and so sure. on. But I don't think it's quite the cultural thing that it is in the US. So I need some yeah. insight from you guys. Joe, you, you, you talked about people having spare time. Is that the case? Will people wa- sit down in front of the TV and watch soccer on Black Friday? Would they go to games or are they all just down at Walmart queuing to buy a discounted I w- Xbox? I was going to say, as long as the game's on TV at Best Buy, I think you're going to get a great audience. No, I think, and Taylor, <laughs> I'm curious about your perspective, and Ryan, too, as somebody who's been in the U.S. for a while. It seems to me that Black Friday has changed a lot over the years with the rise. I didn't expect that this would be something I ever talked about on TSS. With the rise of online shopping, I don't get the sense from people that I know and that I'm around that there's a, a ton of people or at least as many people as there used to be going out and shopping all day long or getting up crazy early, like they'll just shop online and do it on Monday, right? So I think this is basically, yeah, I think it's transformed into just a day that everybody in the United States has off and they're not all going to be busy or doing things with family because a lot of that stuff happened the day before. Yeah, I think right. you're right. It's, okay. it's just a it's just a day to you know open up the Lululemon site and and the Abercrombie site and all those ones that we all love. Just get those discounts, baby. Right, Taylor? Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, of course, of course. That is totally my style. I do picture Ryan just completely sh- like shuttering himself, sequestering himself in a room to just do all of his Black Friday shopping and leaving leaving his family behind because Lulu has a sale. Um, <laughs> I am also taking this one and I'm extending it to. The entire world. I feel like so many different leagues would do well to put a bunch of their best games. Like, I want a Dare Classicer on, on Black Friday because that feels appropriate. I feel like, at least in my family, the tradition is day after Thanksgiving is when the Christmas decorations go up. Uh, so I like the idea of you've got like a cold weather Germany game that kind of gets you into the spirit of the holidays. Uh, you're putting up decorations. You're drinking coffee or booze if you're Graham uh, and then you're and then you're watching like some good games that I feel like it foot, puts you into the mood for the the festive fixture list so I am all on board this one See, I think the thing I, is there Taylor I, I get what you're saying I, I pretty much any day I want as much soccer on the TV as, as as possible but would there not be some value in making Black Friday the American soccer day because I'm, I'm I was thinking mm. going around like in the winter time and Christmas time 
most leagues have like a day. So in the, so in the Premier League, it's Boxing Day. You know that that's a big day in the Premier League. In Serie A, they have I couldn't remember what it was called, so I went and googled it. The day that's of, a good of sign. Epiphany on January sixth, which is when they play games. There's always a, a day in January where there's Serie A games in the middle of the day, and I, I, I always I'm always surprised by that. And then I remember they have that holiday in Spain. You have the King's Day games around that time as well. So I feel like there'd be some value in American soccer and MLS saying this is our day and mm. this this is the day you're going to catch some MLS games on. I don't know if MLS being like this is our day rest of the world is going to make everybody shut down their fixture list necessarily. Uh, but where I think it could be the rest of the world is just that if you have a bunch of family in town or if you've gone on vacation to the grandparents and now there's a bunch of cousins and aunts and uncles and stuff hanging out. You want stuff, I feel like, as early as possible to kind of broadly pull people in, but not really be a thing that everyone has to pay attention to. Like a movie, if people are chatting, you're going to get annoyed, you're missing the dialogue, what have you. But a soccer game you can have on early, but I doubt you can start an MLS game at like 9 a.m. Whereas if you had European games in the morning and then transitioning into MLS in the afternoon, then you could just make a whole day of it. So I I feel like it could be international collaboration to entertain people uh, on Black Friday so they don't go out and trample each other. Graham, I like your point that like the British, the Spanish and the Italian sort of festive days where there are soccer are all sort of based on religious ceremonies, whereas the American one, we want to be based around the, religion, the American religion of <laughs> commerce, which is great. Yeah, um, well, you know, it's a, it's a religion of sorts in Scotland, you know, religion is, is booze, as has already been uh, discussed, <laughs> win or lose on the booze, so yeah. Very nice indeed. All right. And I, I think also, yeah, I, I, lo- I love the idea of it being like an international day for soccer. But I suppose the, the issue is as much as Black Friday is becoming a cultural thing, say, in Europe, it's not a holiday. People don't generally have the day off on that Friday, yeah, whereas in true. the US, many people do. So I think uh, Peter has got a, a very lovely take here. Let's all congratulate Peter on his take. It was hot. It was lovely. It was delicious. We all enjoyed it. Let's go on to Tom Ritz, who submitted this one on Twitter. MLS should have stat graphics on their broadcast like La Liga. Americans love statistics, and I bet it would bump viewership. Taylor, I I love the idea. I'm going to take it. But mainly, I want the return of the giant Adidas logo on the field in the middle of the center circle. I mean, that's the way to go. That's clearly what we all Have that on Black Friday. I love the idea of Ryan... I love the idea of Ryan thinking that that's a bar chart all along the Adidas. (laughs) (laughs) Is it not? Exactly. I think Graham has just nailed it, though. That that should apply. We should have uh, like those sponsors on the pitch for the Black Friday games, and now it all comes full circle. Uh, I am taking this one to a degree because I don't think I need just like bars of stats. I don't think I, I need just like data to have to pay attention to at the same time. But I think if there's a way <laughs> to take the data, still present it, but then also help it inform the game, then I'm all in. And what I keep thinking of is Amazon Prime Vision, uh, which you can watch Thursday nights for Thursday night football. Football definitely lends itself more towards this, so it could be difficult. But for people who haven't seen it, it is very similar to almost Madden, I think, in the way that they will show you the video game, in that they will show you the routes run, they will show you just lots of different angles, you get a better uh, picture of the whole screen, but then you're also getting stats that are sort of visually represented. So they'll have a clock running for how long the quarterback is in the pocket. They'll highlight key defensive players. They'll highlight which players they think are most likely to get the ball on that play. And I think you could extend that to soccer really successfully. Like the one that I was texting you all about, I think of match of the day whenever they're trying to show pressing or when a team isn't pressing enough they'll show like a player receive a ball and a circle around him of how much space he has or if a team is successfully pressing 
they'll show that circle reduce really quickly as players come into pressure. And I feel like that could be a great illustration, a literal illustration of a team's pressing or lack of pressing, how much time a player has on the ball. And and I think the stats could come in for, I think you can get an idea of how quickly teams tend to press, how long it takes them to press, and then you're figuring out, if, are they pressing faster, slower, are they not pressing at all? And that's just one example. But I do think you could use advanced stats as a way to help inform, not predict necessarily, but just show where attacks are most likely to come, which players are in form, what they tend to do on the ball. I think all of those would help inform and putting graphics around them would be cool. And then also maybe just a little bit of the NBA jam, like if a player, like if Harry Kane or Jude Bellingham are playing, we just have them with like a fire emoji on top of their head the entire game. So we know that they're on fire. I think all of these things would go really well. See, we're kind of verging into, didn't um, didn't ESPN or whoever it was do a, a Toy Story broadcast yeah, of an NFL game It did not recently? work. <laughs> uh, it looked quite cool. So I, 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 I would, oh. I'd be in favor of something like that for soccer. I just mean that they, I think there was a, sec- a section of the game in which they had like the tracker on the ball. So that particular ball went out of bounds and then the camera was just focused on that ball like and nothing else. <laughs> so there were plays happening as you just saw this ball laying on the ground. Uh, Graham, do we need to differentiate in Tom's question or Tom's take here between the difference between having stats like numbers come up, like possession stats or flash up on the screen and actual like augmented reality style stuff appearing on the field like we yeah. see in NFL broadcasts? If, there's a difference there, I think. And like uh, at Charlotte FC games, they have the full stats board on the scoreboard at all times with possession, with passing and everything. I've never seen that in Europe. Zeros before. next to Charlotte every game. All right, settle down, Graham. <laughs> True story, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Graham, yeah. go on. I was gonna, I was gonna ask about. Um, so Taylor sent a video to our Slack um, channel last night when we, when we were talking about this, and I hadn't seen. So La Liga, or our um, Tom mentions La Liga in his in his question, and they are really good with graphics that they use in their broadcasts. I think they are the most advanced league in that respect. And I was reading that they actually have a technology arm that builds all that technology for the league, which is. It's pretty impressive, but as far as I'm aware, they don't put those graphics and stats into the in-play shots, into into the live shots. It's more for replays and analysis shot, shots after the fact, and that's where Taylor put the the Amazon NFL video, and and and, and I watched that, and that seemed to be in-play um, yeah. graphics. That that's kind of alien to me. I've never seen that before. And I'm not sure it's existed before. La Liga right, does so they've, some. They've, they've... La Liga does some of this stuff before. I've seen in games. It's not like anything crazy complicated, but they'll show the formations with circles around players. They'll do some of this stuff. Oh, you're right, Joe. But they, but that tends to be kind of like from a tactical camera above, right? So they'll go to like mm. a shot from a tactical camera, and yeah. it'll be like in a lull in the game. It's maybe not when like a cross is coming into the box or something like that. Sure. So you're right, actually. I have I have seen that before in in play. Um, I would love this as an option, right? So if MLS is going to do this as an option on Apple TV, yes, I think that would be fantastic. There are some games where I'm watching with an analytical eye and I want to understand what I'm watching a little bit better and this would help. But there are also games when I'm not watching with an analytical eye and I think it would just kind of be distracting. So for example... Scotland games I don't really watch with an analytical eye because I'm a fan and so there's a Scotland game today I'm not really sure that I would want these graphics on the field while I'm watching so as as long as I could turn it off and on then yes I would take this Graham I'm here for the off and on concept I want to ask you though a couple of things that don't seem so intrusive to me as a viewer that I think could be cool so one that La Liga does as well just during the regular game is on free kicks they'll show who the taker is, just in case it's it's not obvious or whatever the angle is poor. They'll show the distance and they'll sort of draw a line that gives you some feel of the angle. That's not like anything 
crazy data-y. I'd be curious to see, in addition to those things, maybe how often leagues take or, or teams take this free kick short versus playing it into the box or what the you know average ratio is of, of the ball finding the back of the net from this play. But if it's during a dead ball like that, Graham, where it's just a little um, graphic that pops up next to the player with maybe an arrow pointing towards goal with an in-swinger or an out-swinger, is that too obtrusive for you? That's my first question. Um, probably not, no, because we've seen that sort of thing. Even Sky with 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 their Premier League broadcast here in the UK for a penalty kick, they will have like they'll they overlay the where a certain player has placed mm. the penalty as they're taking it. So it's kind of a kind of a similar sort of thing. But no, I guess in that aspect um, or that respect, I would be okay with that. Okay, because that's one of the ones I had on my list. So, I like how Sky is just being Jordan Pickford's water bottle, but for all of us, that's that's great. The other the other one I'm curious about is on on a shot, because one of the things that's on my list, and I recognize this is my own personal crusade and no one else feels the need to join me, but I would love to see at some point in a broadcast just like the individual shot conversion, like the average shot conversion rate for different shots, just so that commentators can't lose their minds when a player misses a shot that's actually yep. difficult and they think like, oh my goodness, this is the craziest thing that's ever happened in this sport. I don't think we talked about this, but I was watching the PSG Milan game in the Champions League. That would have been last week, question mark. And Mbappe missed a difficult shot. And both the the play-by-play and the color guy went on and on. I, I'm not kidding. For like 45 seconds about how you'll never see that happen again because they were just so floored that Kylian Mbappe missed a shot. That is one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard on a soccer broadcast. So, Graham, would you be opposed? I'm not necessarily advocating for it in the run of play as Mbappe is taking that shot, but on a replay. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Because they're going to replay the big moments, and those are the ones that the commentators are going to talk about and that we as viewers gravitate towards. If it's on a replay, do you think that is too obtrusive? I'm just trying to gauge. No, 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 no. I don't think that's obtrusive at all. Okay. I think you can pile as much statistical information into a replay as, as you want, as long as I, as long as you still get a clear view of the replay and you're not you're not putting uh, too many yeah. uh, like different logos and stats on the on the shot, like on uh, Ricky Bobby's car. Like I don't want a big Fig Newtons sticker over the top of the replay or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. But it's yeah, just uh, yeah, convenient. I'd, I'd but he does okay love Fig Newtons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think I think that's sort of my overarching take on this. I <laughs> think this is Nights, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it sounded good. Um, I'm just going through this and I'm taking this as well because I don't think I ever specified that, but I am taking this. I think from what I've heard, I've never watched an MLB game on Apple TV, but from what I've read, they have a, 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 they do a really good job with this stuff. And again, baseball, football, all these sports are easier to integrate stats into than soccer. But I think there are some cool visualizations you could do to help people understand the game better. I think there's some statistical information you could add, even within the small sample size of an individual game or an even smaller one of an individual moment inside of an individual game. I think if you do these things responsibly and it does inform, Taylor, you kind of led with that, then I think there's opportunity here for MLS to become an innovator in the soccer space in that way. Just to hit very quickly on what I actually think is the hottest bit bit of Tom's hot take is that it would bump viewership. What do we think about that? Would it have any material impact on how many how many fans are watching these games? Having if we're, stats if we're talking about like the augmented reality, making it kind of look like a video game, I think yes, absolutely. I think just putting stats up, no, it makes it look like CNBC with a ticker and stocks on the side and you're MSNBC and you've got too much information all at once. That's my opinion, at least. I think you need it to be a little bit interactive, a little bit creative, a little bit appealing and it pulls people in. And I think like I'm not really advocating for this, but even as far as like where the NHL had the heat trail when a, when a slap shot was hit and you'd get like the red trail behind it. I love the idea of like a well hit shot has a a red heat signature, whereas like a little scuffed one has like a blue, like sad, oh, you didn't get it quite there. The but I think whomp, whomp. To, Joe, to Joe's point, like <laughs> it would be really interesting for it to track 
like the percentage likelihood you're hitting that one. And I would enjoy then the commentator having, having said, you got to do better there to be confronted by it. There was a 6% chance that was going in. And They'll just say the stats are wrong. That's what's going to happen. They'll just be like, no, exactly. oh, that, like, that can't be right. I don't care right. what that stat says. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But right there, when you're presented with the number, it does kind of draw that, that juxtaposition a little bit more. Uh, and I think on the, on the reverse side, I think you could also have instances where you're sort of like it's lining up defenders so it's showing you who's marked up against whom and that way when you do have somebody completely lose track of their man so often like this happened in the uh in the nwsl final joe the uh, i think uh, lori Lindsay, who does a great job but i think she was so focused on so many things that she fully blamed a goal on one defender i think sofia huerta got blamed for one where it was the mid first one where three different yeah. players dove in and got beat and then Sofia Huerta was trying to cover three people at once and couldn't get there in time. And I think a graphic sort of showing those differences where it's a defender having to scramble, not necessarily being at fault or the like uh, system breaking down the defense on the defensive side of things. I think there's just so many ways that you could visually represent things that would pull in people who aren't as familiar. I'll put it this way. My wife does not know very much about American football is like casually into it because she, for some reason, only likes violent sports, uh, but really enjoys this because she feels like it helps her better understand what's happening. And for a game like football, where there's lots of uh, intricacies and rules and difficult things happening or different things happening at different moments, it, it does make it just a little bit more appealing, a little bit easier to follow, even if there's a ton of graphics on the screen. So I think it definitely could pull in neutral people for sure. All right, so final scores on this take. Uh, I'm going to take it, but I'm, I just don't feel it will bump viewership. As much as I'd like to see it as a product, I don't feel extra people are going to switch on the TV because um, you can see the XG of a shot or flames coming out of the ball when Harry Kane hits it. Um, Taylor, taking it or leaving it? I'm taking it, for sure. Joe Larry. I'm taking it, but I agree mostly with what you said about viewership, Ryan. I just think it would have a slight increase if you give it enough time, but not really a, a main driver. Graham Ruthman, take or leave it? I'm taking it if I can turn it off when it gets on my nerves. <laughs> so, so, yeah. All right. So some successful takes so far on the show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, plenty more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash Quartzside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show. Welcome back to Take It or Leave It or Tiorly, as the cool kids are not calling it. We go now to Jeff, who submitted his take on Twitter. El Tri, the Mexico national team, is the worst they've ever been in the modern era. Hot. Hot take here, Graham Ruffin. Uh, I refer you, Graham, to the FIFA rankings, the rankings by which oh, we judge don't. all soccer teams. Uh, <laughs> Mexico are 12th in the current rankings. Uh, their lowest ranking uh, in ranking history was 40th <laughs> in 2015. That's the modern era. 
Hmm. Did everyone catch yeah. Joe's laugh there? Because that was maybe my favorite moment of the entire show. Thank you for that, Joe. Yep. <laughs> well, was anyone else surprised that they're 12th in the yes. rankings? I also looked to, at the FIFA rankings and then remembered that the FIFA rankings are absolute garbage and not to pay any attention to the FIFA rankings because despite the fact, what did you say, Ryan, 40th in 2015, something like that? Yes, that's right. Despite that fact, I still think this team is probably worse than that team. The 2022 World Cup was a disaster for Mexico. It was the first time since 1978 that they'd gone out in the group stage. Now, of course, there's a couple of tournaments that they didn't qualify for. But nonetheless, when they get to tournaments, they tend to make it out the group stage. They didn't in 2022. And even if you go back to 1978, which was the last time they failed to get out of a group at a World Cup, um, Mexican football was in a different place back then. So their squad for that tournament was entirely domestic-based. It was only after 1978 that Mexico started to export players around the world and their talent level rose quite quickly. So yeah, in the modern era, I think this is probably the worst Mexico team, certainly in, in terms of their talent level. And, and it's not that they don't have talent because obviously they've got... Chucky Lozano and Edson Alvarez and, and Santiago, Santiago Jimenez, um, who is excellent in uh, the Eredivisie at the moment. He could be a real game changer for them as a centre forward. But um, in the past, they had players who were at their at their peak playing at the very top in European leagues. So Chicharito, Rafa Marquez, Carlos Vela, Andres Guardado. Um, and they don't really have those players at their peak at the moment. And in 2018, which wasn't really a great World Cup for them either... I went back and looked at some of their games from that World Cup. They they had Carlos Vela and, and Chicharito at their relative peak, still playing at a good level in, in, in Europe. They had them as an attacking duo. And that in itself, I think, makes this team stronger than... It makes that team, excuse me, stronger than this current one. They had Hector Herrera as well at, at, at his peak around that team too. So, um, yeah, it was... Um, it, I think it's... It's a team that's been stronger in the past, and they're in a, in a bit of a, a bit of a lull. There have there are reasons for that, of course. I did some reading, and the federation has received some criticism for how it's dealt with grassroots football and how they've hired and fired different managers and sporting directors, and the federation president has left, and they elected a new one as well. But yeah, I think this is a pretty poor team right now. Taylor, do you go along with that? Do you take it? And is is Jeff's take actually that hot? I mean. I think it is, because anytime you're saying the present Mexico national team is a dumpster fire, I think that's going to draw some ire. It's going to draw some eyes. Uh, but but I think there is grounds for it. I think there's two things that I would say. So I think I'm largely taking this one. Um, it's the least afraid I have been of a Mexico national team in as long as I can remember. It, it is a situation in which I believe they've failed to win any of their last six games against the United States. Uh, and some of those were friendly. Some of those were competitive games. And to Graham's point, I don't see players at present that have me as nervous as I've been in the past. That midfield three of Aceace, Guardado, and Alvarez, I felt like there's no way to break that down. They could do so many different things. This goes back to maybe Juan Carlos Osorio days that sometimes two of them would be center backs. Sometimes three of them were midfielders. Sometimes two of them were attacking midfielders. And they had so much variety and understanding and awareness when they would play that it made it just really difficult to play against them on any given moment. And and I don't see that same level of player, that same caliber of player at present. Now, maybe that is my ignorance in not watching uh, Liga Mekis, but I, I do feel like we don't have the overall talent we've seen from El Tree in teams past on top of that to a point Graham made there there has been so much change in the federation you've had uh, presidents come and go you've had I think three different sporting directors in the last like 18 months 
Obviously, you've had uh, three different managers. Uh, it, it it feels very unstable there. And so I think if you are a potential L3 player, you're looking at that as we, we don't really know if this is the coach or if there's going to be a new one coming in, if results go poorly over the next couple games. We don't really know what the Federation is doing. We don't know what they're doing at grassroots level. We don't know about youth development. And I think there's just a ton of uncertainty exemplified by them not qualifying for the U20 World Cup or the Olympics. That's That's an odd thing for Mexico. So... I think there is a lot of instability, which has led to the Mexico national team not being as strong as they have been. The other part of this that I think is is worth acknowledging, even if it makes me slightly uncomfortable, is just that I think this is also the best and most consistent the U.S. has been in my lifetime, that I can remember at least. Uh, I, I feel like there's so much talent there. We're talking about a U.S. team who in this window don't have Christian Pulisic, don't have Tim Weah, don't have Tyler Adams. And we still expect them to go out and look very good. We expect players to come in and deputize and, and, and perform well. And there is still an insane amount of talent in that team. And it's a U.S. team that has been just better across the board. And adding in players like Balogun certainly pushes that to another level. I think you also have in Greg Berhalter, in Matt Crocker, there is more stability at present than there's certainly been in the last year. But But I think... By contrast, it feels like the U.S. is in a much more stable position with more stable talent. And so I think it also appeals more to dual nationals. Again, that's coming from a white dude who is not a dual national. So that's just me speaking potentially as as a, as a stupid person. But it does feel like there is more appeal right now to play for the United States than there has ever been. Uh, and, and so I think because the U.S. has looked so good and performed so well so consistently, I think that also highlights the things that are going wrong with L3, because historically, I feel like the U.S. has a down period and doesn't qualify for a World Cup. It doesn't look very good at times when L3 is scoring goals and looking comprehensively good. And so then it's kind of this back and forth push pull situation. It doesn't feel nearly as back and forth these days. Time now to find out the take of Joseph El Jefe Lowry. Oh, it's me. I've got business cards already printed up with that on it. So that's that's actually crazy <laughs> that you call me that. I, I, Taylor, I agree with so much of what you said there, especially at the end. I think the comparison now where the U.S. is at, if not an all-time high, because I think those are dangerous waters to tread into, and I'm not willing to tread into them, yeah, but at a, at a recent high, certainly yep. in the last <laughs> six years, decade, whatever it is, right? So I think that comparison with Mexico being at a relative low makes it feel more and more like this L3 team is worse than they've been in a long time. I am going to leave this, although I'll admit it is on sort of a technicality, if you'd asked me a year ago, leading into the World Cup, which is right where we were a year ago, by the way, which is crazy to say. If you'd asked me this a year ago, I would have said yes. They didn't make it out of the group. Graham, you did a lot of good good background you know, legwork on this stuff. The last very strong Mexican generation is is too old, and that's Carlos Vela, Chicharito, Herrera, Gordado. You know, there's others in that category. But things have changed a little bit for Mexico since then. They seem to have found in Jaime Lozano a manager that – People are behind enough, and they're not going to pull the trigger on him just like they did with Diego Coca, who was a Tata Martino replacement, because he's already you know been around for, for I think at this point longer than Coca anyway. So like we're we're seeing progress made from them on that front. But the biggest thing is a player that you mentioned, Graham Santiago Jimenez. You look at the World Cup squad for Mexico. Jimenez isn't on it. They don't have a forward that's scoring goals at the rate he is, at the level that he is. He is unique for them right now, Jimenez. He's doing very, very well in the Eredivisie for Feyenoord. 
I asked John Arnold a bit about this. Go subscribe to Getting CONCACAFed, by the way. John does fantastic work and has a great interview with uh, the Trinidad and Tobago manager, by the way, ahead of the, the USMNT Trinidad and Tobago game tonight, as you're listening to this on Thursday. Like, you go through the list. They have made material improvements since the World Cup. Santi Menez at striker is the big one. John specifically mentioned getting Julian Quinones, who plays for Club America, one of the better attacking players in all of Liga MX, and is a dual national. So that's a rarity in and of itself for Mexico as well. They have a manager, again, that seems to be backed in a way that Coca wasn't. I don't think this Mexico team is in a good place. And Graham, you mentioned some of the reasons for that. Taylor, you did the same. I think the the stalled production at the youth level, not necessarily in terms of quantity, but in terms of quality, because Liga Mekis teams are very hesitant to sell and to move players over to Europe, which is at the bigger leagues over in Europe, the highest level of soccer in the world. They're hesitant to do that. And that has had a ripple effect at the youth level and at you know things like the U-20 World Cup and the Olympics. Taylor, you mentioned that stuff. But I still think this team is better off now pretty clearly than it was uh, 12 months ago. All right, Jeff, thank you very much indeed for that take. We go now to another take from Mason van der Zee, who submitted this one on Twitter. If Jaden Sancho is still in the doghouse at Man United when the January transfer window opens, he'd be better off making a Ricky Pooge-esque move to MLS to rehabilitate his career rather than moving to the Saudi Pro League. Joe Lowry, his pocketbook would be better off in the... Saudi Pro League, but what is career? What do you think? Take it or leave it. I'm leaving this one. So I think there is something here, but I don't think there's something here for Jaden Sancho. So I, I think in general, MLS is probably a more stable place to be, period, than the Saudi Pro League. It's more developed. It has a bit more exposure, even globally. I think that is a better place to go to develop and to enjoy some stable part of your career. That being said, for someone like Jaden Sancho, I don't think it would matter where he picked whatsoever. He's such a high-level player. He's proven that at a higher level than either Major League Soccer or the Saudi Pro League. There is no shortage, surely, of impressive high-level European clubs that would want Jadon Sancho in their team. And so for Sancho, I just don't think it matters because he is such a high-level player. He's such an impact player. If he can get out of the, the dumpster fire that is Manchester United right now, like I think he could go somewhere and thrive. I really, really do. And I think he would thrive in MLS and he would thrive in Saudi Arabia. And ultimately, it wouldn't matter one way or the other because he probably wouldn't get there in the first place because European clubs would snatch him up. But even assuming he did go to one or the other, he would go and he would be one of the best players in the league. He would score a bunch of goals. He would have a nice uh, you know, stash of assists as well. And he'd pop right back up at a high level in Europe. I just don't think for him it matters. For, for other players, though, I think it's possible that it does matter. For those looking to make their way back to Europe who have never played at a Jaden Sancho level, I think moving to MLS and then back to Europe makes more sense than, than going to Saudi Arabia and back because MLS has a track record, at the very least, of helping players move across the Atlantic. They don't, they don't have a track record of taking players from Europe and then moving them back. That's sort of a new thing that we're starting to see MLS wade into. Ricky Pooch comes over. You look at someone like Sam Sturridge coming from a lower level in the, in the championship or the bottom end of the Premier League. It's different, and those players haven't moved back yet but I won't be surprised if they do, right? So I think that's someplace we're going to see MLS go to in the next five to 10 years or so. But Saudi Arabia, the, the calculus is just different for them. Like they're not really a launching pad at this point. And MLS very much is just not for Jaden Sancho. I have, I have a question for Graham and Ryan. I think one area where I struggle with this question is I, I agree with what Joe said about Major League Soccer from an American perspective and how we understand it. And I think it is a fairer explanation of major league soccer i don't necessarily think europe treats major league soccer fairly so for you graham and you ryan 
if a player goes to Major League Soccer, my assumption is that people in Europe would see that as like, well, that's it. They're retiring. They're done. And it feels to me like the perception of the Saudi league is, oh, they're going there for money. And 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 if that's fair, my, my question then becomes, is it easier to come back from like a money move or from going to a perceived retirement league, even if that is unfair? So I guess the first question would be, do you all think MLS has seen sort of the way Roy Kent talks about it in Ted Lasso of like, Ugh, is that where I'm ending up? Is that where I'm going? I feel like that is still kind of the case. I think there's still an element of that, of course. It's going to be difficult to, to, to shake that. It's probably going to take a generation to shake that, that reputation. But we have seen players go to MLS, and admittedly a, bit, a little bit later in their career, but I'm thinking of someone like Jermaine Defoe, who goes to, to, to Toronto and then goes back to English football and has a, a, another good few years of his career. And I think even... and Look, I know this is not the case of players going from Europe to MLS and then back again, but even players like uh, Almiron going to Newcastle United, I think that has changed the dynamic a little bit. And another Atlanta player, Jack Amakis, who's had a very good season this year, it seems like there's a chance he goes back to yeah. Europe in this offseason. There's been some chat chatter around him. Um, so I, I think there has been a change in, in the dynamic. And actually, that's what led me to actually take this. So um, I agree with Joe. It seems unlikely that Sancho will end up in Saudi Arabia or MLS. There's been a lot of chat that Juventus maybe want him and that some other Italian teams as well are interested. That feels more feasible for Sancho at this point. But if it's if it's one or the other, if it's Saudi uh, the Saudi Pro League or MLS to rehab his career, as Mason's question puts it, I am taking MLS because, and look, maybe this is my, you know, we're an American-centric show uh, and maybe this is my bias showing, but I still think MLS moments go around the Western world more than Saudi Pro League moments go around, like, social media. If Messi scores a goal for Inter Miami or or there's a big goal in MLS, and again, I realise this is the echo chamber thing with Twitter and social media, but nonetheless, I'm trying to to gauge it. I still think they make more of an impression than anything that happens in in the Saudi Pro League. I'm not even sure where you watch Saudi Pro League games, actually this season maybe they'll sort that out in the future so yeah i think it would be better for sancho just as long as you don't put him at the galaxy because i'm not sure that's been good for uh, <laughs> ricky pucci's uh, blood pressure playing for the la galaxy grim do you think it matters like like genuinely for Jaden sancho you think he has that much to restore when it comes to his reputation that he has to go and, and discern like the minutia of whether mls is better for him than saudi arabia no, I don't think he does. That's what I'm saying. He'll he'll go to Juventus or maybe back to Borussia Dortmund or Napoli. something like that. But the the, the Napoli. question, Napoli, uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> Napoli. But um, the question, as I read Mason's question, is which would be better for him to rehab his career? Would it be MLS or Saudi, the Saudi Pro League? So if I'm choosing between those two, I'm taking MLS. I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and Taylor, to answer your question from my perspective, I think in, you've differentiated differentiated the MLS. MLS, not the MLS, and the Saudi Pro League as retirement and money moves. Mm. Whereas I think in Europe, they're kind of viewed as one and the same by mm. many people. So I think that's... Yeah, I'm sure he would be well remunerated if he were to come to Major League Soccer. Yeah. I also think, maybe I'm wrong on this one, but like I feel like going to the Saudi Pro League, there is an immediate, you're going there for money, you're, you're going to kind of like have a spotlight on you. I, I don't know how comfortable you're going to be. Whereas going to MLS, certainly you're still going to get a spotlight, but we've heard that time and time again, how much players enjoy the relative anonymity that you can go, unless you're a little messy, you can go grocery shopping. You can sort of live a more normal life, especially if you are living in Los Angeles, where there is more of a 
like an inherent celebrity culture. I think they're used to famous people walking around. So I do wonder if Jaden Sancho going to MLS where he has, he will be like the man, but at the same time won't have, he's not going to have a ton of newspaper stories written about him. He's not really going to be in the gossip pages and things like that. So I do think MLS could be good for him. If we're choosing between these two, I'm always going to choose MLS over the Saudi league, just like standard speaking, but I also think it could allow him to be like the man, but also not be the focal point of criticism and also have just maybe a slightly easier time in the media and with public scrutiny. So I, I would vote uh, to this question. I would say he would have uh, more likelihood to rehabilitate his career in MLS, but I'm leaving that he would do either of these. Okay. He still has to like turn up to training on time and stuff like that, though. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. By the way, Taylor, um, I'm in my Miami downtown hotel room. If I look out my window, I can see a Publix. Do you think it's the messy Publix? Do you think it's his one? Oh, exciting if it is. I, I mean, I, I, if they have like uh, hordes of people outside at any given moment and maybe like Argentina, like Albi Celeste colors out there, then yeah, I'd say so. And I think you should just post up and see what happens. Just look. Is there a salt, yep. a salt Bay restaurant next door as well? And that's the messy yes. block. In, yeah, it's, be- uh... it's actually between two Salt Bay restaurants, Graham. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll go down there and check it out. Uh, oh, let's... Sure. Hot take, Salt Bay can't cook. Actually, I don't even think that's even a hot take anymore, but there you go. Oh boy, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking penalty kicks and we are talking about Neymar back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Take It or Leave It. Sir Kenneth of Sidon has waded in on the Discord. Hello, Kenny. Uh, Kenneth says, a penalty kick should be taken from the spot where the foul happened. Graham, I am taking this 100% purely for the chaos of when a handball happens on the line and a penalty is taken one (laughs) centimetre from the line. So I, I want to take it for that reason, but for practicality reasons, I, I don't think I can. And also, the, another reason I want to take it is in, in the spirit of the suggestion um, that we change the penalty where penalty kicks are taken or we change how penalty kicks are awarded because I do think the sport has kind of lost sight of why the laws are in place in the first in the in the first place so when you see a ball brush an arm on the 18 yard line from a ricochet and for that a team gets an opportunity to score from 12 yards out from a penalty that's not a punishment that fits the crime Joe you've you've spoken about this before so I would be in favor of changing the the penalty kick laws i'd be in favor of indirect free kicks being awarded for certain handballs inside the box but as you say ryan having penalty kicks taken from two yards out 
where you just have a player blasting the ball at a goalkeeper, um, it feels like it might be quite farcical. Uh, I'm not sure it'll work. You say if I say farcical, Graham, but I think there's some seriousness in it because the closer you are to the goal, the more serious the crime. So if there is a handball on the line which literally directly stops a goal, then a penalty from one centimetre yeah, but- out is fitting of that crime, rather than you know 18 yards away someone no, getting tripped okay. over. Well, it's not an advantage to the shooting player because how do they get the ball past the goalkeeper? (laughs) I thought about this a lot. I don't have an answer. Yeah, the the geometry (laughs) of all this makes it really, really complicated for sure. So I I am also leaving this just because I think this is all sort of subjective, but I think the farce of the foul occurring on the, the goal line and the goalkeeper already having completely closed down the angle and saving it with no effort is slightly worse than the farce of having someone fouled just inside 18 yards and getting a 75% chance of scoring on their next action. They're both wrong, and they're both... Well, I shouldn't say they're both wrong. They're both unfair relative to the defensive team. That being said, there is value in sort of severely punishing some of these things inside the box because we want attacking teams to score goals because soccer already doesn't have you know a ton of goals. And so having things that discourages defenders from going out there and just clattering people inside the box is overall probably a good thing even if the current penalty system isn't perfect, I'm leaving this. I'm, I'm taking it for the chaos reasons. I'm leaving it because I think you would run into a lot of really kind of icky moments. Maybe there's a way to do this where you redraw some diagrams inside the penalty box and you sort of create different zones and award penalty kicks in different ways. What it about, gets complicated. We should just do the run-up penalties. That's my opinion. What about if it's a foul inside the six-yard box, you take it from the penalty spot, but anywhere else in the box you take it from that part of the box so if, it, if it's a handball on the edge of the box the sort of thing that joe and i were talking about there you take it from the edge of the box and the advantage isn't quite so great would that work it's almost like a free kick if it's like in the corner of the box right yeah well yeah but that that is what we're that's what we're getting at like yeah. that that would be a punishment that fits the crime a little bit more aptly um approved rubber stamp here that says approved on it yes Bang. approved it. there we go taylor you approve yeah, I, I like I like all of these permutations. I had another one for you, Ryan. If we're going for chaos, so let's say we are we are going to take this and we're going to make it the uh, the foul occurs like like and that's where the the kick is taken. But I think the distance from goal, my rule is going to be is how far the goalkeeper has to start from goal when the whistle is blown. So if you are fouled twelve yards from the goal, but like out out wide like in the 18 like you're facing away from the 18 somebody kicks you you go down you're taking the free kick from there but you're 12 yards from goal so the keeper has to start 12 yards from their goal and they have to sprint back to try to get into position before you can take the kick let's just create all the chaos we can that's what i think we're going for here <laughs> so, okay how would you know, how would the keeper ever make the save <laughs> good question Graham. that wall better there. do its job <laughs> The rubber stamp of approval is still hovering in the air over that one, Taylor. I'm afraid. <laughs> I like the keeper, or the keeper could sprint at the ball. Like if 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 you want to go that route, like you could do any number of things. But I think it creates a ton of chaos. And if that's what we're going for, yeah. then let's create some chaos. This this feels like a route to a lot of centre forward injuries from goalkeepers just rugby tackling strikers <laughs> taking <laughs> taking these free kicks and penalties. And then there's yeah. another penalty, and the cycle repeats. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And then what happens with the distances when that happens with the goalkeeper? Like. It's just yeah. still the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Perfect All right. system is the words you're looking for. Let's put that one on the maybe pile. <laughs> but uh, I'd, I'd love to take. Thank you very much, Sir Kenneth of Sidon. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to one final take here from Andrew on Twitter. Neymar's career lived up to the hype. 
He went to Barcelona at 21 and scored over 100 goals in under 200 appearances, became the world record transfer twice. He was Brazil's top scorer with elite efficiency and would be Brazil's all-time leader in caps, if not for injury. I, Graham, I'm inclined to take this in terms of he lived up to the appropriate level, maybe maybe not height, but of expectation. Mm. Like He may not have led his nation to a World Cup on home soil, which is what he expected. Of course, he died in the quarterfinals in 2014, as we all remember. But, <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he did, he did win a treble. Uh, the Olympics, I was at, lucky enough to beat the Olympic final in 2016, and that was a momentous occasion for like Brazil and for him as well. Five league on titles, can't sniff at those. They're, they're really hard to get. So, can, um, can I interject really quickly? When did he break the transfer record twice? So, I think what Andrew's getting at is, so obviously he broke it once when he went to PSG. Yeah. And then, do you remember there was that court case with the fee from Santos when he goes to Barcelona? Yes. And I think once you factor in, like, there was a fine or there was an extra amount yeah. that Barcelona had to pay to because they paid his 19. father or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they said they paid yeah. 19 and they actually paid, like, 70. Yeah. Yeah, so I think once you once that was factored gotcha. in, it, it broke the transfer, the world record, in a, in a sort of roundabout way, I think is what yeah. Andrew's getting at. What do, you, what do you think, though, Graham? I think, I think the take is fairly valid, and particularly with the uh, clause of injury. Because given his injury history, I'm not sure how much more we could have expected from him. Yeah, I found this one a really difficult one. And I think it's difficult because there are two, as, as I think of it anyway, there are two phases of Neymar's career. So at Barcelona, I think he does live up to the hype at Barcelona. He was part of a team that won everything. They had the best front three in maybe football history. And Neymar at that time was an excellent teammate at Barcelona. He scored loads of goals himself, of course, but he was a supporting player to Messi and they were very good as a trio with Luis Suarez included as well. And they were friends off the pitch. And he has the 2014 World Cup which, as you mentioned, Ryan ends with him like dying in the quarterfinals. But that was his World Cup. That was the Neymar World Cup. And he was very good up until that game under incredible pressure, maybe more pressure than any individual player has been under at yeah. a World Cup. Then there's the second phase, right? So he goes to PSG. It's one of the worst career choices in football history, not just because Neymar didn't help them win a Champions League title, which is what he was signed to do, but because that transfer completely changed perceptions of him and all the stories of him not turning up to training and the internal politics and all the fallouts and the drama. Certainly wasn't a good teammate at PSG and you have injuries there as well. The other thing to factor in, I'm just talking you through my thought process here because I'm not really sure where I stand on this one, but the other thing to factor in is that Neymar, I think, was a victim of the Messi-Ronaldo era and that and that rivalry between those two because those two raised the bar higher than any other two players had done ever before. And so it wasn't very fair to measure Neymar against those two, but that's kind of, that's kind of what happened. He was meant to be the next guy. And actually, for someone who was Brazil's next Pele from about 15 years old, and he makes that move to Barcelona very, very young, and he has that pressure, he got pretty close to that handover. When he goes to PSG, people think, Neymar's going to be the next best player in the world. That's why PSG pay that money for him. And of course, it, it, it didn't happen and it sort of, the baton slipped through his his fingers. Um, but I think people forget how good Neymar was at the peak of his career because of those last few years at, at PSG. So I don't think I'm taking this one because in Andrew's question, he says um, Neymar lived up to the hype. And I think at a point, the hype was out of control around Neymar and he could never realistically live up to it. But he did have an exceptional career and I think he should be remembered as one of the best Brazilian players of all time. I think you've made really compelling points, Graham. Ultimately, I disagree with you, however. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that most of what you have just said and most of what this question is rooted in is up until Barcelona. And then as soon as he leaves Barcelona, 
I think the idea is now he becomes the most expensive player on the planet. Now it's his time to like supplant Lionel Messi. He's going to a new club to establish a new dynasty, and he's going to be the man. And and you talk about the Ronaldo Messi rivalry. Like I remember that being this is his opportunity to to be on that pedestal, to be in that conversation. And I and I don't think from the time he makes that move, we're ever really having those conversations again. And this is coming from a person who likes Neymar and really enjoyed Neymar as a player and has enjoyed him, but. I think his biggest career successes are up up to Barcelona and through Barcelona, including with Brazil, that he wins uh, Copa America what once with them in like 2013. I think they're runners up more recently, but that's when he's with PSG. So it, it feels to me like after that move to PSG, it, it, it kind of does come off the rails a little bit at times. And that's not his fault, I don't think. Some of it is, I guess. But I think perception of him also shifts that if he had those injuries while playing for Barcelona and kept trying to come back and he scored a few goals and then he was injured again, I think the narrative is very different. But when you go to PSG and then there's conversations about, well, is he actually injured or is it in his contract that he can go away for a little bit of time? Why do we have to pay him to applaud the fans? Like, I think it just becomes really murky really quickly. And so if we're saying that he, he lived up to all of his hype, when by the moment he left Barcelona, then like maybe that that's a fair point. But I think there was so much expectation for what would come next after that move. And I think a lot of it was rooted in, I don't think this is going to work out, but we'll see. And so that PSG goes the way it does and they're not able to win the Champions League and he doesn't have more consistent success with Brazil. Some of that is injury, certainly, but I think it's still part of the narrative. And so in the end, I, I don't think Neymar achieved those heights in my mind, though he was and is an exceptionally good player. But my point was more kind of regarding the hype where the the benchmark for him to achieve or to live up to the hype was you need to be as good as the two best, in my opinion, the two best players in soccer history, which is just such a a, a ridiculous thing to to set as any level of expectation for any player. So... um, yeah, that, it was it was more the I guess the wording of of Andrew's question when he says lived up to the hype. I don't think he did live up to the hype, but I I, I don't know if any player other than Messi and Ronaldo would have been able to do that. I just think it was kind of unrealistic to expect he would be that be remembered as the best player of all time. All right, Joey Scoops, how do you feel about this one? Are you taking it Joey or leaving Scoops. it? <laughs> We're still doing that, huh? All right, <laughs> fair enough. Um, I <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm still very very torn. I I think the difficult part of all of this for me is kind of the the idea that Graham just laid out there of we hype players to this absurd degree. I mean, we, we try not to on the total soccer show, but the social media machine and YouTube comps with techno music blaring at, you know, negative two decibels, all that stuff. Like that's all very, very real. And it's also very, very ridiculous because you think about Neymar being hyped. Yeah. So it was Oscar. So it was Gerard Delafeu. Like you can run through the list of players that have done, no, not nothing. That's unfair to them, but done nothing compared to the all time greats. And that list of players that have been hyped is so incredibly long. And I agree with Graham. None of these players outside of four that I can think of, Messi, Ronaldo, Kylian Mbappe, and Erling Holland, have ever truly lived up to the hype that's been placed on them, at least among pure forwards. You can look at some of the other midfielders and say, okay, this is, this is very real. But it's harder to evaluate those players because they're not the ones putting the ball in the back of the net. And Neymar was expected to do that and did a very good job of that at many places in his career, including, in my view, with Brazil. Overall, I suppose based off of principle that the hype is always out of control for these players and certainly was for Neymar, 
I will leave this while also still recognizing what Taylor said, that Neymar is an all-time great, and he's certainly been one of my favorite players to watch of this generation. For me, he is clearly one of the best wingers that's ever played soccer, but the hype machine kind of derails this one for me. Very nice indeed. Thank you very much, Joseph. Now, Graham, I said that last take was the final oh, one God. on our listing, but there's another one in from uh, Daniel no. Tolson on Twitter. He says, Ryan has an excellent Michael Caine impression. Now, Master Radford, are you taking it or are you leaving it? <laughs> oh, man. As much as I kind of hated that, uh, it's not a bad impression at all. So I'll, 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 I'll take it. Yeah, I can't come anywhere close to doing yeah, that. Yeah, as much as I would also like to leave this one, it's telling that as soon as Ryan said one word with the accent, we, we knew where he was going with it. So I guess that does mean it's good in that we could tell who it was. Yeah. Is that a thing all Londoners can do, Ryan? Nah, only the special ones, Graham. Only the ones who've <laughs> had to bury members of the Wayne family. It goes in and out of being good and not so good. <laughs> it really does. Ryan, do you remember the comedy bang bang cheat code for how to say his name with his accent? Go on. You say my cocaine. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. My cocaine. Say, my say cocaine. It yeah, there you go. You got my it. cocaine. My yeah. cocaine. Yeah, the best. The, but that reminds me, Taylor. The best way to say Spice Girls in a Scottish accent. Yeah. I might have said this on the Total Soccer Show before. Is to say Space Ghettos in a Southern U.S. accent. Space Ghettos. Space Ghettos. <laughs> That's so go. wrong. That works. Yeah. That's, Joe, you want to do your Southern accent? We all know you've got a lot of love for the South. <laughs> I got a lot of love for the South. I do. Wait, why did oh that come up the other day? Because oh, that was all right, all right, all right. No, 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 hold on, hold on. Boo. That was going off in the in the Discord. Why? I can't remember why I said like you know we sort of have to get rid of the South. It came up for some valid reason that wasn't related to, to necessarily social or political issues, but I don't <laughs> you remember. You said what the it was South needs to be in timeout. I believe it was. I th- yeah. I, I can't imagine why saying we need to get rid of the South would be inflammatory, to be honest. He didn't. He said the South needs to be in timeout, and I believe it was food-related. I think it was something that was being served that he did not mm. appreciate. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but I could be wrong. I could be wrong on that one. But I Joe like does the hate South. the South. That's very clear. Yeah, I like the South of both the UK and the US. They're both lovely, in my your, opinion. Your appreciation of uh, Southern <laughs> England is well-established, sir. <laughs> It is indeed. Uh, my favorite Michael Caine quote, by the way, Taylor, it's not the Austin Powers one. It's the one he said, I think we might have even discussed this before, after Jaws 4, <laughs> which he started in 1987. His quote to a journalist was, I've never seen it, but by all accounts, it's terrible. However, I've seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. <laughs> There's a fourth Jaws. <laughs> yeah, he was in it. The revenge. <laughs> yeah. I think he built a house in for his mum or like in like the Caribbean or something. It's a uh, yeah. lucrative. I believe the shark roars like a lion in Jaws 4. <laughs> wow. I need to watch Jaws you 4. You don't. Did he, you did, really, did he really build, don't. Was, was the house built from Jaws 4 in the style of like Amity, Amityville? Like, or is it just a normal normal house? Wow. Who knows? Who knows, Graham? We should never find out. Uh, Those are two very, were. very different things. The island of Amity, I get what you're going for. The Amityville house has very yeah. different connotations. What is Amityville? Remind me. I, I knew it was Amityville. Movie? It's the house that was supposedly haunted, but wasn't. Yeah. Right. Okay. But yeah, yeah the Amityville I, I did know. The as, as it came out of my mouth, I knew that wasn't quite correct. Amity. That's the that's the tone in Jaws. Yeah. Yes. Jaws. Uh, Jaws for Graham was the film where Michael Caine famously said, "You're only supposed to blow the bloody fins off," uh, as you remember his famous. <laughs> you watched this film. Have you seen <laughs> Jaws four? Is that what we're learning? No, I've not seen. I've seen Jaws one, and that was where I concluded my Jaws journey, Taylor. Essentially. Um, anyway, that's probably fine. That's probably yeah. all you need. <laughs> I think so too. I think Paul Tompkins on, has that line. Where are we at with the shark movies? Still just the one good one, which is pretty much dead on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Someone's not seen Sharknado. Anyway, let's end up this Take It or Leave It episode oh, no, right has. here, right now. <laughs> uh, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for all your takes, hot or otherwise. Thank you, Mr. Kane. <laughs> Graham Radford, thank you very much, Master Radford. <laughs> thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, my good man. Thank you, Ryan. And listener, thank you mostest of all this. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you'd like to access our bonus content, we'll be back on the feed very shortly indeed. But for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.